You're listening to a talk which is part of our Restore series. We hope this series will help people understand what it means to be a restorer and how this impacts our actions and attitudes when dealing with both the church and secular culture. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. I am really excited. We have got seven weeks of a new series that is called Restore. Uh, and and there's, there's some amazing kind of themes coming up for each week. And my job this morning is to try and give you some kind of overview, some kind of intro into that without dipping too much into the themes that are coming up. But before I do that, another reason, if you remember why we sit around tables and we don't sit in rows or in, in pews, is that so we can engage with one another easily, so that we're not having to kind of crane our necks or shuffle chairs around or things like that, because church shouldn't just be about sitting in a large room, looking at one person, absorbing some information, and then going away. Church is about doing stuff together. It's about learning together. And that's what we do with these tables, and we do it in various different ways each week. But this morning, I want us to just spend five minutes, just spend five minutes thinking about what do we mean in a Christian sense when we talk about restoring things? Or what do we think about restoration theology? And don't let that scare you. What I want you to do now around your tables is just talk very simply. Try not to get too kind of conceptual in that, but think about what do we mean when we've heard about when we talk about restoration. Now, if you've not heard of that as a, as a phrase or it's, it's very new to you, just talk about what you think it might mean. What, what might it mean? And it, there's no wrong or right in that. You're just sharing what you think that that means in a Christian context. Okay, is that okay? Just spend five minutes talking around your tables and, and think about restoration and what does it mean and what does this mean. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going to ask you to just withdraw from your conversations. If, as you're going back to your tables, you want to move further forward, that would be nice. So I feel like I've got a bit of a void going on here. So if you want to move back to your tables and move further forward, that hint is really not working, is it? Okay, all right. Okay. Let's give it a shout out. So some folks from some tables. I'm not going to go around all of you. Um, let's, pick on, let's pick on Becca because she's looking at me. Just give me, give me one, one thought or, or, or sentence or whatever that, that you spoke about at your table about restoration. Shout it out very loudly. Restoring things and making them like new. Great. Okay, let's, you guys, one of you, shout out very loudly what you were talking about about restoration around your table. Okay, stop. That's good. That's good. I'm going to take that first bit. So it's, yeah, <laughs> so it's about restoring it back to, to that kind of perfection, that, that Garden of Eden um, state. Okay, uh, let's pick John and these guys over here. Can you shout out one thing? So when something is damaged and broken, to restore it is to make it like new. Okay. Okay, I'll talk you chase them around then. Okay, um, let's go over. Paul's got his hand up, so it's furthest person away, Andrea. You have to, you have to run as well. 
If you bring the idea, you've got to run with it, literally. Uh, thank, thank you, Annika Rice, for bringing the, uh, the microphone over. <laughs> um, we, we agree with some other what's said, so we'll say a different thing, that sometimes when you restore something, you don't actually restore it back for the same use or the same, exactly the same. You, you, sometimes it comes out and it's different. Do you know what I mean? It should be different. You know, right. you might have something that's no, redundant and you're bringing it back into use as something different. So right. restoration doesn't always mean an exact copy back to... So restoration doesn't always mean a copy back to what it originally was. Okay, that's good. Explanation. You guys down here. There is a verse. Excellent. <laughs> Somebody's looked at the I have no idea word. where it is because I've been flipping through it all over. But I'm sure you all have. There's, there's, it's in either Leviticus, Deuteronomy, something like that. There is a law of restoration that God gave to the people of Israel. Uh, and it was that if you uh, either inadvertently or on purpose deceived somebody and thereby gained it dishonestly, that if you then repented of that and wanted to make yourself right with that person, you had to give back what you had dishonestly gained and add a fifth of the value to it as recompense. Okay, thank you for scripture. That's wonderful. That's good to hear. Go on, Ben. Can we run to the back and see, see what Ben's cuddling? I tell you what, can we just give a big up to Christopher? Yeah. All right? Hopefully we just haven't deafened Christopher for the first two years of his it's life. Actually, it's actually Christopher had a word. <laughs> um, we, we, we were talking about the, the kind of restoring people's lives and actually getting out into um, these guys do some street pastoring, the idea of knowing your community and trying to restore lives as well. And then I was um, I mentioned about how each of us are called with a particular mandate in our lives and sometimes when we encounter one another and we draw alongside one another, we restore back vision and purpose in the lives that hasn't yet maybe come to fruition yet. Great, thank you Ben. I don't need to repeat that because you've got the microphone. Alright, let's do one more table and, and go on Mark, go on. One thing, one thing. And then I'm going to go to Brian. I used to be a furniture restorer. I just want to say to Paul as well, to change its use, um, a washstand, a Victorian washstand, um, people didn't like them because you, could, you, couldn't, you had to vacuum under them, so it turned them into a desk. But uh, actually what happened is, uh, you had something that was French polished, it was uh, originally it looked you know, beautiful, but then it had this finish on it, and then it had all dirt over the years, all patina. And then you, uh, you took that off and you just put uh, you know, wax on it. So it still had the same use, it still looked the same. It's a bit like Genesis, isn't it? You know, when God made everything beautiful and then sin came into, the, came into it. But, you know, Jesus has restored it, says in Hebrews. Right. Let's the stop there, because you're going to preach what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> Brian. Yeah, um, we just looked at restoration in, in a way that um, you don't put things back to what they were originally, but in God, we believe that it doesn't stop there. God, God just continues to restore us, and that doesn't finish because that goes on all our lives until we get to the place where we end up. Wonderful. That's great. That's really good. Thank you, mate. Good. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to ask anybody else to share. That's wonderful to kind of get those um, perceptions and a lot of truth in what a lot of you said. What I'm going, to, I'm going to do this morning is a little bit unusual. And um, as I was looking up, how was I going to speak on restoration without dipping too much into the coming themes? 
um, I kind of started doing my usual troll of, of the internet and, and things like that. And I suddenly thought, oh, hold on a minute. We have a website that we have access to called therestorer.net. That sounds like a good website to go visit. And the website uh, was started by a gentleman called Bryn Jones. Now, some of us know Bryn Jones, some of us won't know who Bryn Jones is. So let me just give you a very quick um, biography. Bryn Jones, um, in the 70s and 80s, together with his brother and other folks, uh, were spearheading the home church movement, um, which uh, I suppose, I don't know whether it was necessarily uh, uh, the instigator of this, but they all, it was also connected with the charismatic kind of renewal. So the, the recognition of, of the gifts of the Spirit um, really kind of coming back into the church. Uh, and us here, City Church Leeds, we were birthed out of a church plant or a, a church in the home plant from Bradford, what is now uh, the Abundant Life Centre. And um, we started in 1981 and, and Bryn and uh, Kerry were, were a huge part of our development and we looked to them, we looked to them and we looked to Bryn uh, as somebody who we regard as our apostolic father. Um, and so a lot of our, our history, a lot of our connection, a lot of our DNA comes from these things that those guys, not just Bryn and Kerry but others, you know, things that they chewed through, things that they, 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 they talked about, things that they maybe even debated, but ultimately the revelation that God gave them together. Uh, and so that's part of our DNA. And uh, Bryn passed away in the early noughties, I think 2002 or something like that. It might not be. Somewhere around that, that year. I can't quite remember. Um, so he's gone to continue his life with God. Uh, and, and we're here to, to not forget some of those things that he brought us, some of those things that he taught us, um, uh, so on and so on. And um, when I, I was reading... <laughs> Um, there's an article on that website. Now, all the articles on that website were formed into a book uh, called The Radical Church. Um, it's, it's pretty hard to get hold of a copy now. You can get hold of some still on Amazon. Um, but if you go onto the website, therestorer.net, you'll be able to access all those articles and read them for yourselves. But I was reading one, I started reading one, and it's simply called Restoration, God's Purpose. And as I was reading it, I'm thinking, right, what can I pull out of this? What can I bring? How can I, how can I bring this on a Sunday morning as an overview about restoration? And the more I read it, the more I felt God saying, just read it. Just read it. Just print off the article and just take it and read it. So this morning is a little bit unusual. I'm going to read Bryn's words to you. And I believe that Bryn's words are still relevant now as they were when he wrote them. And he didn't write them, by the way, on May 2nd, 2012, which is a, a handout I'm going to give you later, which has the date on. That was just the date that was uploaded to the internet. So don't get confused and think that somehow he managed to write an article from beyond the grave. Although, you know, God can do anything, so hey. Um, but they're just so relevant. So I'm going, to, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read to you and I'm going to try and engage you while I'm reading as well. But what I'd like you to do is just maybe some of you, when you're listening to somebody reading, just close your eyes. Or do whatever it takes for you just to absorb the truth that is contained in this article. Okay? Does that sound different, but, but a good thing to do? Well, I, I think God told me to do it, so it is a good thing to do. There we are. Okay, so let me read you this. At the conclusion of the convention, people gathered in small animated groups, immersed in conversation. 
The general consensus was that the speaker had done an outstanding job of highlighting the main issues relevant to the times in the light of the impending return of Jesus Christ. As I discussed what we had heard with a young Baptist pastor, he grew increasingly agitated with my responses to his very pessimistic, dispensationalist view of the end times. And finally, he looked at me in frustration and sharply said, your problem is you have a one-string fiddle. Every time we get into a serious conversation, you bring everything round to restoration, being the answer to the whole thing. I don't understand how you can be so naive. And you might, have, you might have heard other people say the same thing, but let's face it, without apology, the message brought to our world is simple, in the sense that it is straightforward and it's plain to every man and woman in the street. The fact that it is simple does not weaken its demands or make it less profound or detract from its radical nature, or diminish its power. Jesus chose his disciples from a broad spectrum of life and revealed God and his kingdom to them in a way that made them prisoners of the divine purpose. He cut through the web of legalistic religious traditions that had obscured the simplicity of truth. The ordinary people loved his message of the kingdom. They heard him gladly, flocking en masse to where they could be with him. They were warmly embraced by his compassionate heart, lifted from their misery, healed of their sicknesses, set free from demonic powers, and introduced to a new way of life. Moving from the gospel records of Jesus' ministry to the historical accounts of the church in Acts, the story is one of continuing liberty and power of life in the early church. Emerging within the larger community of the world was a new kind of community, not based on racial, ethnic, or cultural similarities, but on the love of God permeating the whole. It's not surprising that this Christian community found the same favor with the mass of disenfranchised, distressed, and dispersed peoples that Jesus did. Its residents proclaimed a new life, a new power, a new rule of God in the earth. And before long, it was being said that these early Christians had turned the world upside down. And check out Acts 17 verse 6. Sadly, the simplicity of early Christianity has long since disappeared. Today, we're faced with a highly organized and complex religious denominations, some 250,000 of them, and possibly many, as many independent groups. Their traditions are often more permanent than their testimony. Their legalism stifles their liberty. Their competitive attitudes negate their compassion. Their wealth obscures their worship, and position is more sore than purpose. Where is the church of the Acts of the Apostles? Was it inevitable that the passage of time would defeat God's purpose in his people? Have cultural forces, uh, bureaucracy, technological realities become stronger than the spirit in God's church? Has the church abandoned its message of hope for a better tomorrow?
some people would answer yes to those last three questions. Influenced by dispensationalist thinking, there's no place in their eschatology for the concept of restoration or triumph of the church in this age. And if you want to know what we mean by dispensationalism and eschatology, I can only ask, come up to me afterwards and I'll try and explain that to you because that's a whole other uh, realm of conversation to be had. Or look on Wikipedia. They are persuaded that these end times will be an extended period of global catastrophe, social and moral disintegration, international upheaval and individual trauma. In contrast, today's apostles and prophets believe this generation could be the one to see the fulfillment of Peter's declaration within days of Pentecost that God will bring about a restoration of all things spoken by the prophets thus paving the way for the return of Jesus Christ from heaven where he must remain until this restoration is fully achieved. Acts 3.21. Write that down. Have a look. In the general mind, the term restoration, and this is where Bryn goes on to define restoration as he sees it and as I would agree with him considerably. In the general mind, the term restoration is most commonly associated with antique furniture or the renovation of old buildings as we saw in the video to their original state. Unfortunately the biblical concept of restoration has no such readily understood meaning. These are things, I'll say this, these are things in our world that we try and explain restoration by and they're all good but they don't necessarily explain the whole thing. A chap called Henry Warner Bowden past president of the American Society of Church History said, the meaning of the term restoration is relative to different people who appreciate it, to what they say it means and to what they, activities they pursue. Based on the historical usage of institution, doctrinal and biblical categories, there is no meaning intrinsic to the title and we can find no common agreement on any set of organizational forms or ideas. But there are others who dispute Bowden's claim. For example, Theodore uh, Dwight Bozeman, professor in the School of Religion and Department of History at the University of Iowa, and who knows if he's still there, but he said it when he was, um, contends that the Puritan period was characterized by restorationist thinking, arguing that the defining element of this thinking was a reversion to the first or primitive order of things narrated in the Protestant scriptures. Bozeman's emphasis on this Puritan's restorationist ideal was a defining element with respect to current restorationist ideals. All that may seem a bit complicated, guys. Just go with the flow. Restorers continue to seek, as they always have, to recover truth from the biblical record. But they believe that to stop there would be far too limiting. For restoration is much more than recovering a primitive order or practice associated with the early church. Richard Hughes, professor of the, in the religion division at Pepperdine University says, if scholars are to use this concept, restoration, with creative dexterity, they must be less concerned with the abstractions and generalizations and more concerned with hearing how insiders, true believers in the restoration ideal, define the concept for themselves. In explaining this book's use of the term restoration, and when I say this book, this is, we're talking about the radical church, 
So when I use that term, it's referring to the book that Bryn, read. It, uh, Bryn wrote. It's important to focus attention on Peter's great proclamation found in Acts 3.21, which I said earlier, so let's read it. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Peter clearly declares that restoration will precede the return of Christ, that it will see the fulfilling of all things prophesied by the prophets and will be a consummation of a process that has been going on over an extended period. It's a mistake to charge true restorers as historical Thank you very much. His people that just live in history and they don't step out of that. That's what they want to go back to. We do not seek a return to uh, an original condition. Rather, we seek to advance the fullness of God to the original intention. Ours is not the backward look of nostalgia, hoping to find some dubious mythological perfection in the early church. The Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles reveal that the primitive church was hampered by schism, legalism, uh, bad living, was infiltrated by the empty philosophies of the day. And I don't think we have any desire for the future to be a repeat of such a past. Nevertheless, implicit in the letters of the Apostles to the churches were strong moral and spiritual principles that are the life foundations of every authentic Christian community. It is these elements that modern-day restorers seek to recover as part of the process of advancing the church to its fullness and maturity. As Peter wrote to the Ephesian church, a full restoration of all the ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, must occur so that we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become more attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4.13. God intends a post-denominational united church, filling the world with his glory. And that is why restoration must include all ministry gifts. Why do things need restoring? When Moses was confronted by the Pharisees on the, uh, Pharisees on the question of divorce, he pointed out to them that Moses had introduced the bill of divorcement as a concession to them because of the hardness of their hearts. But he went on to say that it was not this way from the beginning. Have a look in Matthew 19, 8. Jesus highlighted a divine principle that holds true in every issue of life. To discover the norm of God, we must first ask, how was it in the beginning? If we are to understand this consummation of the ages, we must first look to their commencement not the post-fall condition of man, but God's fully expressed pre-fall intention for man and this world. The original progression of creation provides us with a clear understanding of the ultimate intentions of the Creator, intentions which figure strongly in the thinking of restorers today, and he lists them here. One, God is the source of all creation. I agree with that. Do we all agree with that? In the beginning, God. This self-introduction provides no apologetic for the atheist, nor evidential argument for the agnostic, 
God simply asserts that the fact he is the ultimate source, the first cause of everything that has come into existence. There was nothing before or beyond him. To the restorer, anything that cannot root itself in God as its source has no place in the life of the Christian or the practices of the community of God. Restoration, therefore, necessarily seeks to free the church from all traditions of of human ritual, philosophy. Anything that binds people with religious fetters or binds them with religious darkness. Restoration demands a return to God as the source, the center, and the sustainer of all things. Heaven and earth were originally in essential harmony with each other. God created heavens and earth. Although separate, distinct spheres, they were not mutually exclusive. God's will in heaven was to find its expression in man's will on earth. Which is why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, any culturally accepted practice that is not aligned with the righteousness and justice of God, such as homosexual practices, abortion, sexual relations outside marriage, racism, cruelty, domestic violence, or unjust exploitation of labor force, is both unacceptable and destined to pass away under God's judgment. Creation was an ordered process. It's not a muddled jumble of everything brought into existence at once, but was an ordered creation, with God carrying out his plan to a timetable on the first day of the week, on the second day of the week, and so on. This is a continuing hallmark of authenticity, In all God's working in our lives and in the corporate life of the church, God is not the God of disjointed, random movement, but of orderly progress. Restoration is not a last-minute interventionist act that will conclude this age. It's a progressive process throughout time. And I think somebody said that, that we continue to be restored. Every act of creation was judged. Let's let's read. God's judgment is constructive in its intent, not destructive. God stood back from each act of creation, surveyed it, and judged it good. And it's interesting to know that although God is perfect, he still judged what proceeded from his perfection. In all its rich diversity, creation was imperfect, harmony. Restorers do not think that the church of God or the world around it should assume a bland, boring sameness. Restoration produces unity and harmony in the body without destroying its rich diversity. Amen. As the restoration of all things reaches its consummation, so Christ will manifest himself more fully in the unified diversity of human culture. The kingdom of God is rich enough and wide enough to accommodate cultural diversity as long as that diversity is not in itself an expression of unrighteousness or injustice. Are we going good so far? Yeah? God's purpose remains unchanged. 
When God created man, he delegated his authority to him to rule the earth on his behalf. Man was created to be God's regent on earth. His mandate was to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and rule. Had Adam and Eve never sinned and instead given themselves to fulfilling the will of God, then the earth wouldn't be filled with men and women uh, full in God's image, full of disease. There wouldn't be anything on earth out of harmony with heaven. Disease, sickness, poverty, pain, war, violence, greed, and all other consequences of sin would never have entered the human experience. Restorers assert that although Adam fell, God's purpose did not change. He still intends a world totally compatible with himself, free of all that has come upon it as a consequence of the fall. I'm going to admit to you now, guys, I'm not going to read all this because of time. I'm going to try and stop at an appropriate moment. I have all this, and we're going to give it out to you at the end for you to take away and for you to read at your own pace and to bring to your life groups as well and discuss, okay? So I will stop, and I may seem like I've not gone through it all, but I'm very much aware of time. God made the family the unit of society. When God made Adam, he was the only thing that God did not affirm as good. Adam was not flawed, rather he was incomplete. God knew that essential to Adam's fulfillment was a partner with whom to share life. The creation of Eve was the completion of humanity. And the procreation of the first couple was a fulfillment of their union together and the beginning of family. In these latter days, God's intention is to restore family relationships. Oh Lord, restore family to our nation, to our world, Lord. To restore family relationships, including order and authority, so that the family itself is fulfilling and becomes the means through which society is fulfilled. This means that we can expect the recovery of family. Thank you, Jesus. To exceed its original condition. Wow, it goes further than that, which is in keeping with God's original intent for it. God will banish war and violence. The world's increasing population was meant to become a regulated society of families, peoples, tribes, and nations covering the face of the earth. While maintaining family relationships, people in general would be held together by the common root in their father Adam. The thought of nations being formed by one people conquering another was never part of God's original intent. Therefore, the restoration of all things in this war will cease. Have a look at Isaiah 2, verse 4. People find their fulfillment through accomplishing mission. I can, I can point to several of you that I know are involved in mission. The mandate given to Adam provided him with a means of self-expression and fulfillment in doing the will of God. Procreation and productive work were given to man pre-fall. God's purpose in providing work for people to do is to bestow on them the means by which they can express their creativity and enjoy, enjoy the dignity of labor. Leisure is a pleasurable thing. But human beings find their fulfillment in work completed. 
Okay. I am going to stop because this next bit would just need completing. What I'm going to write, read now to you is just give you an idea, just a flavor of what is coming up over the next six weeks. And we've got various, we've got an eclectic mix of speakers bringing their own flavor to each of these themes. So next week we're going to begin uh, with a thing, something called A World Reimagined. And the gospel begins not with the fall, but with the beauty of the garden. Life as God created it to be. Life before the destructiveness and self-centeredness of sin entered the world. God is on a mission to restore humanity and all creation to where it is intended to be. And those who follow Jesus imagine the world as it should be. Can, can you do that? Do you ever do that? Do you ever imagine the world as it should be? If, if you don't, I'm not condemning you on this, but just try from today onwards. Just imagine the ideal. Because it's only if you're a pessimist, somebody who just can't think positively future, that, that prevents you from thinking what the ideal would be. Try and turn yourselves into optimists. And don't be cynical. Don't be negative. But think of the ideal. Imagine the world as God intended it to be. Just try and get into that practice if you don't do it already. The week after, we're going to do something called Restored from Within. And our wonderful Ben Cordy over there is going to bring this one. And this is the restoration that God wants to do in the world. Begins with the restoration he wants to do in the lives of those who follow him. And we're going to do something called a new community. The work of restoration is not individualistic in nature. On the very beginning, God said it is not good for man to be alone. The garden experience was one of authentic community. The promise of the gospel is that one day this community will be restored. And our next theme is going to be moving beyond offended. And I love this one. I'm not doing this one. The wonderful John Casey is going to present this one. I'm going to read the little paragraph that I sent to John as a, a way of being able to just dive into this because I just think it's wonderful. Christians, I didn't write this, by the way. I took this from somewhere else. So I'm not promoting myself. Christians are often viewed as people who are easily offended. They are offended by the language people use, their lifestyle choices, and the values they proclaim. In response, those who do not follow Jesus have defined themselves by what they are not offended by. The result is a world divided into the offended and the not offended. Yeah, true. Think about it. It is. You know, those out there think that as Christians we're offended by all sorts of gubbins to which we actually, that's not our primary importance at all. And they say, we're not offended by that. You are, we're not. You're offended, we're not. The result is a world divided into this offended and not offended. But the gospel is not about being offended, is it? It's about being compelled to action. Not the kind of action that, uh, that leads to protests and boycotts. It's the kind of action that leads to restoration and renewal. I'm looking forward to that, John. Yeah, no pressure, mate. And then we've got engaging the culture. How do we engage this culture that is around us? Uh, uh, George is coming from Keithley, a gentleman called George Jarvis. And, uh, what I've wrote here is the, the church has struggled at times to understand how it is called to relate to culture. 
And some Christian groups have even withdrawn from culture. And others, this is, one is as bad as the other, others have blended so seamlessly into culture that nothing distinguishes them from the rest of the world. Uh, the Bible calls those who follow Jesus to engage culture. And this engagement is both relevant and countercultural. And then finally, we've got our, our last one, which is called called, not employed. And some chap called Mark Kelly will be presenting that one. I'm looking forward to seeing what he says. Too often Christians compartmentalize themselves into the sacred and the secular. Work falls into the latter. Vocation is often disconnected from kingdom activity. And at best, it provides the financial, necess financial support necessary to support the church. And at worst, it's a necessary evil that keeps people away from doing real ministry. But God's radical call is not to retreat from culture, but to be present in every channel of culture, the education, government, media, arts, entertainment, business, and social sector. And if each person has a clear sense of God's calling in the channel of culture to which he or she has been placed, the world will be transformed. I'm going to leave you with this. We are called to be restorers. We are called to join with God in mission to deal with the destructiveness of sin and to restore the world to that which it was created to be. And when we talk about the world, we're talking about creation. All of it. It is the beauty of the garden in Genesis and the hope of the new heaven and new earth in Revelation that frame this mission and gives the cross of Christ its fullest meaning. The purpose of this series coming up is to help me and you see the whole gospel and better understand what it means to proclaim it and live it out. So, Gina, would you mind giving out those, um, the, the, the article? And read on. It's amazing. Visit therestorer.net. Such good stuff for you to chew on, think about. Father, bless the guys and the gals that are coming to share your series over the next month or so, Lord God. Let them speak out the things that you want them to speak out, Father God. Holy Spirit, be in their, their words as they utter them and let our hearts be open to receive them. Lord God, bless us as we receive that word and then we go out into the world to be active with the word that you have, you have shared with us, Lord God. Father, bless everyone here this morning. Father, we're ready for more. We're ready to be your people. 